0: Well, as Pastor Rod said, we are landing the plane here this morning, our series from uh, the book of Joshua called Courageous Faith. Uh, In this passage, in Joshua chapter 23 and 24, Joshua is kind of saying his farewell to the people of Israel and giving them some instructions before he passes off the scene and soon actually passes away. So I hope that we will all kind of lean in Listen carefully to this counsel from the leader of the people of Israel who encourages us one more time to really live in courageous faith. So the title of the message today is simply One Last Time. So let's pray and ask the Lord for help. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace. Lord, we praise you that your mercy is more. Lord, I ask that as you Uh, meet with us this morning, that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people. Hide me behind the cross. Cause Jesus to be exalted. And would you uniquely, uniquely speak a word to us through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now I've got an image on the screen behind me. Uh, Anybody know what this is from? It's of course from Hamilton, very good. So this Broadway show tells the story of the rising star of the American Revolution Alexander Hamilton. And this particular scene right here, if you're familiar with the musical, is where Washington tells Alexander that he is not going to run for office for a third terms of president. It's one of the kind of most pointed scenes in the whole story. Well, I bring this up because, man, there's actually some backstory to that. When Washington retired or said that he wasn't gonna run for president, Alexander Hamilton wrote his famous farewell speech, and on September 19, 1796, about 10 weeks before the third presidential election, George Washington published the address of General Washington to the people of America on his declining the presidency of the United States. Super catchy title, I know. In this letter, although George Washington still had a lot of political clout, he chose to walk away from the presidency and leave the fledgling nation in the hands of the people. The letter really le- reads like a piece of fatherly advice to somebody's kind of passing off the scene. Washington's farewell address became one of America's most important documents. In fact, it was published more than the Declaration of Independence for a season. And today, still, if you go to the Senate on Washington's birthday, they will read this letter. Now, why do I bring this up? Because it's strangely familiar to the scene that's happening in Joshua chapter 23 and 24. Joshua, who has led the people of Israel in their conquest of the Promised Land, is old. He's getting ready to pass off the scene and in chapters 23 and 24, he kind of gives some final words of wisdom, both to the leaders of Israel and then to the nation as a whole. These words of advice are kind of like Joshua saying, hey, I got one more time, one last time to share with you some of the things that are really important. And so that is what this is chalked full of. The tone of Joshua's farewell address can be chapter, captured in chapter 23, verse number six. Look at what it says. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand nor to the left hand. To put it simply, Joshua is reminding the Israelites to remember. Remember what God had promised them. Remember God's word, remember God's faithfulness. Which raises the question, why? Why was it critical in this moment for Joshua as he's passing off the scene to say, don't forget? I mean, think about the context for a minute. Hadn't these people crossed over the Jordan River and seen God do an amazing thing in their life? Yes, yes. Hadn't this been the same group of people who marched around the walls of Jericho and saw those walls fall down? Yes. Hadn't this been the group of people who go into the promised land and all of their enemies are fleeing from them because God is fighting on their behalf? Yes. Isn't this the people who are now, even now, living in cities that they didn't build, eating crops that they didn't plant? Yes. Yes. They're seeing all this manifestation of the goodness of God to them, and yet God says to them through Joshua, don't forget. Don't forget all the faithfulness of God. Don't forget his word. Don't forget his promises. Don't forget his character. Why was that necessary? Here's the reality, friends. Forgetfulness comes easier than faith was true of the days of Joshua and it's true today. Can't you feel that in your heart? It is so easy. It is so easy for us to forget the faithfulness and the promises and the goodness of God. In fact, when we have problems, what happens? All of God's past faithfulness in one sense looks like they're in the rearview mirror and all we can focus on is our problems. We just sang the song, Come Thou Fount. And there's that famous line in that song, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Do you feel it? Prone to leave the God I love. I mean, do you ever get up in the morning and say, what is wrong with me? I mean, why does it seem like God does all this stuff in my life and yet my heart still is like a squirrel? Seems to chase every distraction and go after everything. Why is it so hard for me to focus on God and His goodness and His promises and His Word and stay faithful to Him? If I could use an analogy, it seems like the human heart is a little bit like a car that is slightly out of alignment. You ever had a car slightly out of alignment or a tire that was a little bit flat? What goes on when that car is there? If you take your hands off the wheel at all, what, go, what happens? It goes to the ditch. You gotta keep your hands on there consistently and consciously to prevent that car from drifting. Here's the reality about what's true of me and what's true of you. We drift by default. All of us, we drift by default. It's hard for us to say true to the Lord, to say fast, hold fast to him. It is easy for us to drift off into the ditch. To put it simply, Joshua is reminding these people that God has been faithful and it's a reminder that we need to remember as well. We've all been there. The Lord can be blessing us abundantly, right? Ever been in a season in your life and God's just doing amazing things in your life and then you have a bad day or two and suddenly it's like, Lord, where are you? What's your problem, where you've been? He's like i've been here every day you just had a difficult little season and you forget me there's a great story from the um the life of the protestant reformer martin luther luther who god used in really miraculous ways to kind of lead the church out of darkness was sometimes prone to forgetfulness and he was one, in one of these periods of despair and depression And just, it went on for days and days and days. And finally, his wife, who was rather wise and savvy, said, I've got to take some matters into my own hands. So she got up one morning and she dressed herself in funeral attire. And what is more, she took her six children, dressed them all in funeral attire as well. And they made their way down to see Martin Luther. They entered into the living room or wherever he was sitting. And he said, oh, Katie, what's going on? Are you going to a funeral? Katie snarkily replied, no, but since you act as though God is dead, I want to join you in the morning. Does that sometimes sometimes describe your experience? We act as if God is dead. It seems like our hearts drift by default away from the Lord. And this is why Joshua's address from centuries ago remains relevant for us today. For in his parting words, he reminds the Israelites and us by extension of this simple reality. Listen very carefully to this. We must fight for faith. I choose that word very carefully there. We must fight for faith. You can't just go your default direction or your drift. We have to fight towards faith. And in this passage and throughout the book of Joshua, Joshua is calling the people of God to cling to certain realities, to hang on to them, to hold on to them so that they don't drift. Joshua 22, verse number five, only be very careful to observe the commandments and the laws of Moses, the servant of the Lord commanded to you to love the Lord, your God, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments. Notice this phrase, and to cling to him and to serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul. Or over in Joshua chapter 23, verse number eight, cling to the Lord your God. I have to be honest, when I read those words, I just, frankly, in my heart, my walk with Jesus often doesn't feel like clinging. That word sounds pretty aggressive, right? Many of you have met our youngest daughter, Lila. Lila. And Lila is a trip. One of the things about Lila is she gives what I would call ferocious hugs. When Lila goes to hug you, it's not a passive affair. It it borders on assault, her hugs. She will come and she will get her arms around your neck or leg or whatever appendage is available. And she simply won't let go. It's one of those hugs where if you scoop her up and she's got her arms around your neck, you could just kind of walk around like this and wear her because why she clings, she holds on tight. I want that to describe my relationship with Jesus, that I cling to him. I hold fast to him. I'm not letting go. I aggressively, I ferociously cling to my savior. And I think that's what Joshua is telling the people of Israel in this passage. Cling to him, cling to the Lord, your God, don't let go. Well, how do we do this? Well, in this passage, I believe Joshua gives us a few things that are really good for us to remember. If we're going to cling to Jesus, if we're going to fight to faith, there are certain realities, certain theological truths that we cannot let go because the moment you let go of them, you begin to let go of Christ himself. I want to give you three things here that are good for you to remember. The first thing is simply this your perseverance requires courage. One of the major themes of the book of Joshua, and if you've been with us through the series, you've heard it over and over again that Joshua is consistently calling the people of God to be strong and brave. Unsurprisingly, in his Swan Song, he returns to that idea again. Joshua 23, verse number six therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. You see, although God had already in this part of the story, already begun to drive out Israel's enemies before them. Look at Joshua 23, verse number three, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to the nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. And although God had reaffirmed his promise to the people of Israel, verse number four, behold, I have allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes and those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea to the west, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your Sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you even though God is driving out their enemies even though God has said I'm giving you the land Joshua wanted his people to remember that there was still work to be done this is a critical critical idea even though the people of God had experienced all of these great blessings. They'd crossed the Jordan. They'd been delivered from Egypt. They were now physically in the promised land. That does not mean that the fight was over. Enemies still needed to be conquered. Idolatry still needed to be resisted. Obedience still needed to be cultivated. Listen to Joshua's sober words in verse number 12 and 13. For if you turn back... And you cling to the remnant of the nations remaining among you and make your marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they, will, they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given to you if you don't persevere if you don't stay with it god is basically saying to his people you will fail this is why joshua says things like verse number 11 be very careful to love the lord your god listen here's the idea presence in the land is not the same as possession of the land presence in the land is not the same as possession of the land. This is a critically important idea for us as well today. There can be a tendency, listen to this carefully, there can be a tendency in all of our hearts when we hit some sort of spiritual milestone to all of a sudden take our foot off the gas. But just because you hit the milestone doesn't mean it's time to coast. So maybe it can be coming to Christ. Maybe you're a new believer. And man, if you are, we are so grateful you are here. And you were spiritually curious, seeking after the Lord. And then you trusted in Christ and you're like, all right, now I can can just ease on off just a bit. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe you took that first step of obedience and trusted the Lord and were baptized, and now you've said, "Oh, I can now ease on up just a bit." Maybe it's joining the church. you've linked arms with the local body and kind of taken that step of obedience, and, and you're like, "Oh, well, now it's okay for me to rest on my laurels." Or maybe it's something a little bit more mundane. Maybe it's serving in some way or raising children or sending them off to college or reaching retirement or whatever it may be, getting your education, landing that job. So you pursue the Lord, you seek the Lord. Lord, I need you, I need your help. Please help me, please help me. He helps you and you're like, all right, now I can rest. Now it's time to ease on up. And Joshua is saying to the people of Israel, look, yes, you're in the promised land. Yes, you've made it across the Jordan. Yes, your enemies have fled before you, but there is still work to be done. Perseverance requires courage. You cannot quit growing. And look, some of you have experienced that in your life, have you not? You were pursuing God wholeheartedly and then you just took a little break because you were tired or life got busy or you got a different job, or you had a baby or something like that. And you just got a little passive. And then you look back six months or a year or five years and you can barely see the Lord anymore because you have drifted so far from him. This is what Joshua is warning the people of Israel about. Perseverance requires courage. You gotta stay after it. You gotta stay after it. You gotta stay after it. A a question that I've been asked at times before that is very convicting to my heart is this. Listen very carefully. This is not meant to condemn, but it is meant to challenge. It's this. Has there ever been a time in your life when you are closer to the Lord than you are now? Because if that's the case, men, it means at some degree you've drifted, right? Because where should the trajectory of our walk with Jesus be? It should always be upward, like always deepening in our faith, always growing. Yeah, it's staggering along the way. But if you look back five years ago and you're like, I was more close to Jesus than I am today, brothers and sisters, can I say this kindly? That's a problem. If you look back a year ago and say, I'm closer to Jesus then than I am now, brothers and sisters, can I say this very kindly? You're drifting. You're drifting. You've got to get your hand back on the wheel and require and remember that perseverance requires courage. Sometimes we subtly think that it's easy coasting from here, but according to Joshua and the rest of scripture, here's the principle the moment you stop fighting, you start failing. The moment you put down your weapons is the moment you start failing. Following Christ is a lot more like climbing a mountain than it is a stroll in the park. Any of you seen this crazy free solo stuff? Anybody seen that? This is people who climb mountains with no gear. Nuts. If that's you in this church, you are under church discipline. That is weird. Don't do it. These people climb mountains with no gear whatsoever. And so if they let go, what happens? They die. Don't let go. Don't stop climbing. I think that's an analogy of the Christian life. The moment you stop, if you haven't reached the crest, which is when you see Jesus face to face, the moment you stop, you put yourself in a very, very grave position. Do you know what Pastor Rod and I desire for every member of Gospel Hope Church? And if you're a guest of us, we desire this for you too. We want you to hit the tape. We don't want there to be any collateral damage. We want every single person in this room to when they meet their maker, which we all were, will, the mortality rate is still one-in-one, one, friends. When you may meet your maker, we want you to be clinging to your faith. Hanging fast. Perseverance requires courage. Don't quit. I know your life is busy. You know, I was just in the 930 service and we have more senior saints in there. And there's a temptation to quit one way there. And in this service, we have some younger folks. You are working on your career. You are building your family. You are building relationships, whatever it is. Don't let that make you let go of Jesus either. Don't let the good be the enemy of the best. The most important thing in your life is are you trusting in Jesus and are you hanging on? because the moment you let go, you are in a deadly and dangerous position. That's the warning of what Joshua said to the people of Israel as they were tempted to quit. Here's what Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is not a one-time decision. This is something that we must do day after day, week after week, year after year, daily deciding to say, I will hold on to Jesus. I will cling to him. I will walk with him. Now, that was a hard sell right there, okay? That was, that was the heavy. And I don't want you to understand me to say that there is no joy in following Jesus, there is. But it's sometimes a type of joy that we don't expect or we misinterpret the type of joy that it is. The joy of following Jesus is like the joy of a hard day's work accomplished, not the joy of sitting on the couch and vegging out in front of Netflix. Now, do you get some measure of joy out of both of those? Yes or no? Yes, the Netflix one is kind of like a gross joy, but it's joy nonetheless. You feel like some self-loathing after that. But in the moment, it's all right. But the joy of a hard day's work, it's like, man, you sweated, you worked, you were diligent and you get home and you're kind of like, that was tough, but I'm glad I did that. That's the joy of following Jesus. It's this joy of keeping on and you're, you're saying, yeah, I'm pleasing my master and it brings me joy to please him. It brings me joy to work hard in trusting him. Maybe an analogy will help like this. Suppose you bought a house and it was infested with Rats and fleas, yeah, ew, that's gross. Rats and fleas, let's throw some termites in there for good measure. I mean, completely infested. And let's say you got into this home and realized they were there and they were not only infested, but these particular vermin were infected with diseases that would harm you and your family. Would you be like, you know, today I'm gonna get like a couple of these rats out and that should be sufficient. You know, it'd be fine. I mean, there's a lot of them here still, but I have taken care of a few of them. I can now just rest. You'd say, no, that's, that's terrible. Or would you come to a point where you're like, you know, me and the rats, we've really made a peace treaty. We're on good terms with one another. They like me, I like them. We kind of have this peaceful arrangement. You say, no, that's ridiculous because they're thriving leads directly to my not thriving. Their presence, their activity is hurting me and the ones I love. In the same way, when we enter the promised land, trusting in Jesus, becoming a follower of Christ, we have enemies to fight still and you can't come to an easy peace with them because they are hell-bent on your destruction. So we must fight, but the fight is not with one another. The fight is with the enemies that lurk in our own hearts our sin and selfishness, our desires that need to be transformed by the work of Christ. The only way that we persevere is being courageous enough to look those things in the eye and say, you are my enemy and this is a fight to the death. There is a mean streak to the Christian life, brothers and sisters. Christians should be mean. What do I mean? Not mean to each other, but we should be mean to our sin. There ought to be a sense of like, I have taken up my weapon and I will not put it down until this battle is done. And it's a long one and it's a hard one, but I will win through the power of Christ at work in me. Can you get a little mean? Not mean to other people, but mean to the incipient things that lurk in our hearts. I can't improve upon the words of John Owen, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Look friends, faith is not a one-time decision. It is, but it's more than that. Faith is not just walking an aisle one day or signing a card or joining a church or being baptized. These are all wonderful things that should be part of your faith journey. And if you have questions about that, man, Pastor Rodder, I would love to talk to you about what that means. But faith is not just a decision, it is a life's direction. You must keep putting one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, deciding to trust in Jesus, deciding to trust in God and his faithfulness that he will keep sustaining you. How do you fight for faith? You remember that your perseverance will take courage. Oh, I pray that everybody in this room in five years from now will still be clinging to Jesus. I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm just saying it's because of reality. Because if you just let the drift happen, sadly, you will lose sight of the Savior more often than not. You must fight for faith to hang on to Christ. Number two, not only do you need to remember that perseverance requires courage. Number two, you need to remember that your power comes from God. You might hear me say this and say, Ryan, yes, I wanna persevere. That that is the aspiration in my heart, but there are things, there are enemies that I must face that they feel overwhelming. You ever been overwhelmed by trying to follow Jesus before? You ever feel like you just can't do it? Well, here's the good news. When God called his people to take the land, he didn't tell them to take the land in their own power. Time and time again, God reminds his people in the book of Joshua that he will fight the battles. Look at what it says, Joshua 23, verse number nine. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised. Verse number 8 of chapter 24. Then I, God speaking, brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them your land, and you took possession of the land, and I destroyed them before you. And just to make sure you don't miss the point, Joshua 24, verse number 12. I sent hornets ahead of you which drove out before you the two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and towns that you had not built and you live in them and you eat fruit of vineyards and olives that you did not plant. God wields his power for her, his purposes in his people. That's the idea. God's like, yes, I'm telling you to fight, but I'm telling you, I will do the fighting for you. Here's the implication. Listen so carefully to this idea. If God is calling you to do something that seems challenging or overwhelming, he always enables what he commands. God always enables what he commands. If there is a habit or a character in your heart of sin that needs to be broken, there is power available. If he is calling you to radical endurance, some of you are suffering in this room right now, and it is a long suffering. It is a problem that isn't going to go away. And you have said in your heart, I'm not sure if I can keep on doing this. The good news is God will sustain you in the midst of it. He won't necessarily make the problem go away, but His grace will be available for you day after day after day. He will give you enough grace to keep on following Him. Maybe He's calling you to step out in faith in some way that you haven't done before. Maybe it's in generosity. Maybe God is calling you to head to the mission field. Maybe God is calling you to plant a church. I don't know, but if God is calling, He will also enable. God is not mean. He is not tricky. He always enables. Enables his people to do all that he commands them to do. This is so liberating. Because it frees us to trust and obey and rely on the Lord to take care of the results. Here's often the problem though: we don't often take that first step of obedience, and so we never experience God's power. We're just kind of waiting for God to show up. And friends, in God's economy, that's just not how he works. I bought Trisha an electric bike for Christmas. Have you guys seen these? Are you alive? No, there's like no response there, like nobody, yeah. You've seen them, okay, all right, all right. These things are amazing, they really are. Now, I don't know if we got the knockoff brand or whatever, but when you ride Trisha's electric bike, which she'll let me do from time to time, I'm in her good graces, in order to make it go, you have to pedal. Now, you don't have to pedal fast. You don't have to pedal hard. You just have to move your feet in some way. And when you move your feet in some way, that motor reads that and says, okay, now I'm gonna make this thing go. And it goes fast. I mean, it's quick. It's really cool. Um, I think it's a great analogy for the Christian life because sometimes we see this hill we gotta climb and we say, well, I don't have the strength to get up that hill and so we sat at the bottom just kind of straddling the bike I can't get up there and what the Lord is telling us to do is essentially this start pedaling. start pedaling, and when we start moving in obedience to the Lord I have heard this story so many times God shows up god does beyond what we ask or think he moves us beyond our power to move but you gotta pedal you don't gotta pedal hard just pedal some you're like my obedience feels broke down and weak good because then you'll know that it's god who did the work but if you just sit there and don't pedal at all guess where the bike's going nowhere guess how your faith is being built none But if you will start saying, Lord, I don't understand how this is going to work out, but I know this is your will, just start obeying, just start obeying, and you'll feel that engine go, "Mm, wow, I am able to do what I didn't think I could do by obedience to Christ. Rod read that passage in there. Do Do you notice what it said in there? In Psalm 18, it said that through the Lord, you can jump over a wall. What's the idea? Like Nobody can jump over a wall, but through the Lord, you can through the Lord, you can take out a troop like me against an entire battalion. Well, nobody can do that, but through the Lord, you can. The idea is the power doesn't come from you. The power is an outside source, but God does tell you to pedal. Could God have taken the promised land without the nation of Israel? Yes or no? Yes. I mean, he didn't need them. He, he could have just been like, hey, Canaan it's clear, got it, room clear, move on in. But instead he said, guys, Strap on your swords, march around the walls, carry the ark, set up the tents, do all the things that I've commanded to, and when you obey me, I will fight for you. If they hadn't obeyed, if they would have remained over in the wilderness, they tried this out, right? How that working for them. They decided they wouldn't obey the Lord because it seemed too hard and they never experienced God's power. But when this generation said, we will obey the Lord and cross into the promised land, we'll strap on our swords, we'll put on our boots, we'll march around the mountain, what happened? God showed up. Listen, here's the idea that is throughout all of Scripture. God moves when, when we trust. God moves when we trust I love that passage where Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth and he says, and he did no mighty works there because of their what? Unbelief. They didn't take the first step of obedience and God says, okay then, that's not how I work. When you obey, that's when I show up. You wanna see the power of God in your life? Start obeying what God has called you to do. You don't have to know everything God has called you to do, but if there are things in your life that God is calling you to do, start obeying. And I tell you, based on the authority of God's word, the Lord will show up. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it. Now to him who is able, (laughs) now to him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we ask or think, electric bike, (laughs) According to the power at work. What's it say, church? Within us. God wields his power through us. That's amazing. But we got to obey. We got to do what he has called us to do. Our confidence is not in our limited capability, but in God's Limitless capacity You say, I can't do what God is calling me to do Then you're exactly in the right position Because he can In and through you Number three What else do we need to remember? We need to remember that your past matters deeply Most of Joshua 24 is essentially a history lesson Joshua goes all the way back to Abraham and rehearses for God's people all that the Lord had done for them. That he called Abraham out and gave him a son. That he multiplied the people through Jacob. That he rescued the nation from Egypt. That he defeated the Amorites and the Moabites and gave the land to his people. That he toppled the walls of Jericho. That he defeated all the Canaanites who came against him. That he gave them cities that they didn't build and vineyards that they didn't plant. So why did Joshua rehearse all of God's acts for the people? Here's why. Because God's past faithfulness is meant to serve as a down payment on his future faithfulness. God's past faithfulness is meant to serve as a a down payment on his future faithfulness. Listen, regardless of who you are, here's what I know. God, over the last however long you've been on planet Earth, has been building a resume in your life. Right? He's been acting in your life, throughout your life, doing good and mighty and great things in you and through you and for you. And can I say something else? That resume is pretty impressive. When you stop and reflect on all of God's goodnesses to you, he has built an impressive resume. And now what God is saying through Joshua to the people of Israel and what God is saying to us this morning is, will you take a look at that resume? Is he trustworthy or not? It's kind of the question he's posing. Like has God done enough in your life to show himself trustworthy? Can you think about some of the ways God has been faithful to you? Has God saved you? I mean, in one sense, that's enough. If that's the only thing God did, is he faithful? Yes. Has God blessed you with some sweet relationships in your life? Has God given you at least enough health to be here this morning? Has God provided for you at least enough for you to find a way to church this morning? Has not God done so many good things in your life? And Joshua is saying to the people of Israel, remember all God has done for us. That past faithfulness of the Lord is meant to kind of be like a down payment that if he's been that faithful in the past, he's going to keep on being faithful. You can trust him to show up. All the things that the Lord has done in your life deeply matter. Joshua's response to God's faithfulness is an invitation. Look at what it says, Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose this day who you will serve whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me,